Hi guys, welcome back to the Random Verse podcast. Um, so this past week's been kind of crazy. We were supposed to have a live stream on Saturday, and we also didn't upload an episode on Thursday. Um, Thursday we were trying to get things ready for the live stream, so we didn't record an episode. Um, but then Friday morning, um, we had a death in the family. That so. was not expected. Yeah. And um, so we we took the the weekend to kind of spend time with family and, you know, help however we can with other family members. And so the stream just kind of got pushed to the side for the time being. Mm-hmm. But we will still be streaming at some point. We don't have a particular date yet, but as soon as we know one, we will give it to you. Yes. So... So it will no longer be the last Saturday of every month, um, but we will come up with a solid schedule because there are other people in this household and myself who stream, and so we just have to work around people, but it will happen. Right. As soon as we know, we will let you guys know. All right. So this is your episode. It was supposed to be my episode last Thursday, but, you know, it's fine. I'm, you, you guys are just going to hear less of me. It's totally fine. It'll be okay, you know. <laughs> um, I think it'll still be very interesting, no matter who it comes yes. from. Yes. So for today's episode, our theme is the Cecil Hotel. Um, if you are not familiar with the Cecil Hotel, it is a hotel that is very well known for its various deaths and strange occurrences um, ever since its opening. And there was a recent documentary made about it in particular connection to Elisa Lam. And that really kind of shot up its popularity. Um, It's always been popular, but after this documentary, it's like everybody was talking about this one. So, um... The documentary itself did not have many of the other stories that are um, credited to the hotel. So today we will be reading you those different stories. After I've gone through and read these stories, we will also give our opinion on the documentary for the Cecil Hotel. Um, Just a little disclaimer, we actually have not finished the documentary as of the recording of this podcast, so... Um, We'll basically just be giving our opinion as far as we've watched. And without further ado, let's get into these stories. The Cecil Hotel was opened in 1924 and was kind of made for travelers, particularly businessmen. Um, So it was kind of made really fancy, really nice looking. Um, I'm pretty sure that it cost like a million dollars to build. And it did well at first, but then the Great Depression hit, and it struggled for a really long time and kind of became known for the lesser fortunate people to kind of house it. So in 1927, Percy Ormond Cook was found with a bullet wound in his head and was rushed to the receiving hospital, and he would not recover from this wound. 
it was discovered that Percy had shot himself after being unable to reconcile with his wife and child. He was 52 years old. In November of 1931, W.K. Norton was discovered dead in his room. He had swallowed poison capsules. When he checked in a week before, he used the name James Willies and stated that he was from Chicago, even though he was actually from Manhattan Beach. September 1932, Benjamin Dodich was found by a maid with a self-inflicted gunshot wound, and he did not leave a suicide note. In July of 1934, Sergeant Louis D. Borden was found in a gruesome scene in his room. He had taken a razor and slit his own throat. He left more than one suicide note, with one of them stating that his poor health was one of the reasons for his suicide. In 1937, Grace Margot fell from the ninth story and became wrapped in telephone lines on the way down. She was taken to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital, where she later passed away. It is still unknown if Grace chose to fall or if it was an accident. In 1938, Roy Thompson, a Marine Corps fireman, jumped from the top floor and was found in the skylight of another building. In 1939, Navy officer Erwin Neblett was discovered dead in his room. He had ingested poison. In 1940, Dorothy Serger was reported as having ingested poison. No further reports were made about her condition, but her death record states she died in January of 1940. And this is just a warning, but this one in particular is very disturbing. In 1944, Dorothy Purcell was staying at the Cecil with her boyfriend, Ben Levine. Purcell went into labor, even though she had not previously shown signs of being pregnant. Not wanting to disturb her sleeping boyfriend, Dorothy went into the bathroom and gave birth to a boy. She thought the baby was dead and threw him out of the window. He was found on the roof of another building. An autopsy would later show that the infant had air in his lungs at the time of death and therefore was not dead when Dorothy threw him out of the window. She was charged with murder, but acquitted by the accounts of three psychiatrists that stated she was mentally confused when she did this. It is also rumored that her boyfriend Ben was abusive, and she was afraid of how he would react to a child. In 1947, a man by the name of Robert Smith jumped from the seventh story and subsequently passed away. In October of 1954, Helen Gurney, a stationary employee from San Francisco, checked into the hotel under the name Margaret Brown. A week later, she jumped from the seventh floor and landed on the hotel's marquee. February of 1962, Julia Frances Moore jumped from the 8th floor and landed in the 2nd story interior light well. She did not leave behind a note, but did leave a bus ticket from St. Louis, 59 cents in change, and an Illinois bank book showing a balance of $1,800. In October of 1962, Pauline Auten jumped from the window of her ninth floor room after an argument with her estranged husband, Dewey. Dewey had left the room when Pauline jumped out of the window and landed on a pedestrian, George Giannini, and it killed them both instantly. Because there were no witnesses, police initially thought that the two had committed suicide together, 
However, it was soon determined that because Gyanani had his hands in his pockets at the time of death, he could not have fallen with her. And he was also still wearing his shoes, which had he jumped, would likely have fallen off during the fall or even upon impact. This is a warning that the next story is also particularly disturbing and violent. In 1964, a hotel worker discovered Pigeon Goldie Osgood, a retired telephone operator, dead in her room. She had been raped, stabbed, and beaten, and her room had been ransacked. Osgood was well known around the area and had earned her nickname because she fed birds in nearby Pershing Square. Near her body was the Los Angeles Dodgers cap that she always wore and a paper sack full of birdseed. Hours after her murder, Jacques Ellinger was seen walking through Pershing Square in bloodstained clothing. He was arrested and charged with her murder, but was later cleared of the crime, and unfortunately her murder remains unsolved. In 1975, a still unidentified woman jumped from her 12th floor window onto the Cecil's second floor roof. She had registered at the hotel on December 16th under the name Allison Lowell and was staying in room 327. Skid Row was unofficially deemed as the internment zone for the homeless and recently released convicts in 1976. Prisoners would be released in this area and would be forced by circumstances to make their home in the various hotels in the area under a program that gave them extended stays for weeks, months, or in some cases, even years. Violence and drugs in this area escalated, and hotels like the Cecil were affected by the tumultuous environment. Sex workers were often using the Cecil as their business as well. Due to the combination of drugs and violence, there are many deaths with causes like overdosing or violence from drugs that are attributed to hotels like the Cecil. In 1992, the body of an African-American man was found in the alley behind the Cecil. Police said he had either fallen, jumped, or been pushed from the hotel's 15th floor. The 20 to 30 year old man has never been identified. In 2013, Elisa Lamb, a Canadian student, was found inside one of the water supply tanks that was on the hotel roof. She had recently gone missing about three weeks earlier. Her body was found by a maintenance worker after guests had complained about low water pressure and that the water tasted funny. There is footage taken from an elevator shortly before her disappearance that shows Lamb acting very strangely and pressing multiple elevator buttons and hiding in the corner of the elevator, waving her arms around, and this caused a lot of speculation about her cause of death. After the police released this video, there were many theories. She was reported to have had bipolar disorder and that she was taking different medications for it and that this could also have attributed to her death and her strange behavior. Police have officially ruled that her death was an accidental drowning. June 13, 2015, the body of a 28-year-old man was found outside the hotel. Some think that he committed suicide by jumping from the hotel but a spokesperson for the county coroner informed the Los Angeles Times that a death has not been determined. 
now we will move into killers who have stayed at the CISA hotel, of which I really could only find information about one, and the other is simply rumored. So, Jack Udelberger stayed at the hotel in 1991 while writing about crime in Los Angeles for an Austrian magazine. Jack had been convicted of murder previously in 1974 and had served time until his release in 1990. He was released on parole due to his writing that convinced others to start a campaign for his release in 1985. The release did not take place at that time because there was a minimum of 15 years that he had to serve before being considered for parole. Writers, artists, politicians, and even a Nobel Peace Prize winner all advocated for his release. During his stay at the CISA Hotel, Jack murdered three sex workers by beating them, sexually assaulting them, and strangling them with their own bras. After being chased by various agencies through three different countries, U.S. Marshals caught Jack and his girlfriend Bianca in Miami, Florida in 1992. He was then taken back to Austria and tried for 11 murders, including the three women from Los Angeles, and was sentenced to life without parole. There are many rumors that Richard Ramirez, who is also known as the Night Stalker, was reported to have stayed at the Cecil. Um, these different rumors vary from he was there for a few days to he was there for months. There is a, reportedly a staff worker who was previously employed at the Cecil who said that she had many interactions with Richard and that he didn't commit any crimes while he stayed there. He was just simply hanging out because he belonged. And there are other sources that say that he did commit murders while staying here. But all of this is kind of unsubstantiated. There's no way to know if they're true or not. We kind of just have to go based off of word of mouth. For the rest of this episode, we're going to go over some of the cases that we've read here and give our thoughts, um, a couple of our theories as well, and particularly with the Elisa Lamb case, because that one is the one we know the most about. And it's kind of the one that's the hot topic right now as well. So we will be giving those thoughts and also talking about pop culture references to the Cecil Hotel. Um, different shows have been based off of it. Movies have been based off of it. Um, and there's other things that have been rumored about it. So, so uh, we're going to start with pop culture references and the first thing the first one that i want to bring up is the eagles hotel california which i did a whole bunch of research on this because i was going to do the hotel california like the story behind the song of what it was rumored to be i was going to do that on thursday but we didn't do a recording on thursday um so i know quite a bit about the song now and what it was written about and whenever the song first came out it was rumored to be about the hotel cecil um, that's it's not. Um, I don't think any of the Eagles members ever stayed at the Hotel Cecil, but there are a lot of uh, similarities that you can find between the song lyrics and the hotel. Um, I'm not going to go into deep dive on that because I think I'm still going to do a full episode on that. Yes? Amber? I think so, yeah. No? Okay. So we'll save that for another time. Um, but another pop reference is American Horror Story which is a show that me and you 
We used to watch a lot. Yeah, I was almost obsessed with it. Yeah, um, I I haven't really seen it much after the hotel season, which is the season we're going to be talking about. Um, so hotel was actually based on a completely different serial killer case, um, but there were references to the hotel Cecil. They actually had Richard Ramirez uh, show up like in the show as like a character. And he stayed at the hotel. It was very interesting. It was... I didn't know how I felt about it. Because at that time in particular, I actually didn't know a whole lot about Richard Ramirez. Right. I just knew he was a serial killer. And a lot of girls were obsessed with him. Yes. Like, in love with him. Like, Ted Bundy level in mm-hmm. love with him. So, um, in American Horror Story Hotel... Uh, this Richard Ramirez character pops up in the fifth season episode, Devil's Night. Um, and of course, like, Richard Ramirez is only rumored to stay at the Hotel Cecil, but it's a rumor that a lot of people want to believe because it's two very dark subjects coming together. Um, ho- the Hotel Cecil was also, like, the set was also based on the Hotel Cecil because it has that, ni- that like, 1920s Art Deco style. And so they made the set for the Cortez Hotel to be, like, almost an exact, like, replica of the Hotel Cecil. The season also does reference the Elisa Lamb case very subtly. Um, there is a passing comment about a death and how it impacts the Cortez's water supply. And it's in episode 6 where one of the main characters references the disturbing case of a teacher named Kara who committed suicide in the Cortez and sat in a tub and the water got mixed in with the water supply. And that's exactly what happened with Elisa Lamb. She was in the water tank for months and it her body affected the water supply. So another pop culture reference is people for years have wanted so badly to, to connect the Black Dahlia in the Elisa Lamb case. Um, it's not... There's very little to connect them, but again, it's two dark subjects and people just want there to be a similarity because they're in close proximity. Um, if you don't know, a little short overview, the Black Dahlia was a is a case of a woman named Elizabeth Short who was found dead in downtown Los Angeles. And for decades, no one knew how she died, why, who did it. Um, so very similar to Elisa Lamb, like no explanation for it. So people wanted to speculate that Elizabeth Short had stayed at the Cecil, had had frequented the bar, the bar next door, whatever. Really, there was there's no evidence to back that up. Like there were there were no witnesses that said they saw Elizabeth Short there. And the only thing that really ties the two cases together in any way is the fact that both girls went missing. As a matter of fact, um, that yeah, that is the only one because this case didn't even take place near the same time. This happened in 1947, where Lisa Lamb happened in 2013. So, um, plus if you know the details about the Black Dahlia case, you know that the circumstances of death are way different. Very, very different. Yes. So, this is just another one of those where people get hyped up on the craziness of cases and want to put them together and feel like they have somehow figured something out right it's like people love to try and do like a whole like six degrees between 
very dark murders or subjects and it's just not it it's just there are horrible people out there everywhere if you are a person who likes the paranormal side of things um such as myself and Haley, um you probably know who zach bacons is and you probably know about the show ghost adventures um we watched that show a lot growing up um, it was really kind of the only place that we got paranormal content from Yeah, when we were growing up. And I had a lot of respect for Zach Bagans as a person because I took him at face value and thought that he was an honest, true person. Well, um, I feel like at the beginning he was. Because uh, we kind of related with him on the fact that he had an experience as a young child and wanted answers he wanted to see if anyone else had experienced it or if he could experience it in different places like we we kind of had the same feeling and same idea um but i feel like as the show has progressed it's become more and more fake or more and more uh, dramatized exaggerated reviews and stuff um, i think you know, due to its popularity. There, there's rumors that the producers have been pushing for them to fake things and over-exaggerate certain things. And I think even Nick, who was previously on the show but has since left, I think he is quoted as saying something similar to that as being part of the reason why he left. Well, he, um, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, because this happened a while ago that he left, he has a family um, that he was trying to look out for as well and he was having attachment issues or just like I like it like a lot of negative energy from the show because Zach is very much a confrontational person and whether you believe in spirits or not if you put so much negativity out in a very energized area you're gonna get a lot of ne- negativity back exactly and so Nick was having issues with just like very negative things happening to him surrounding him and he eventually quit because Zach would not stop. He, not even, like, even, like, so he wasn't taking precautions with the paranormal things, but also in, like, like the physical real world, things were not taken, like, safety measures were not used. They would go into buildings without respiratory masks where they were recommended to have some i think well Zach recently is- he has started using them sometimes but he i've seen episodes where he would go in with them but then would take them off or mm-hmm. you would see shots where he's not wearing it um and he very much has this attitude of i can take it i can handle the big bad ghosty stuff because i can handle whatever they throw at me but he doesn't seem to take into account that whatever he's going to draw to him is also going to be drawn to the people around him. Right. And again, like whether you believe in the paranormal or not, those of us who do believe in the paranormal know just how important respect is. So like if you're trying to contact a spirit or an entity or something, you have to be respectful or dangerous things can happen. And that's what was happening is Zach goes into an investigation and he's very disrespectful He's yelling, he's throwing things, like, trying to get a reaction, but he's not going about it the right way. He's not patient. Not at all. Which, I don't know if I fully fault him fault him on that, because I feel like the producers of the show have been pushing them to get more results or to fake things, and he 
has been doing it because he wants to keep the show going. It's just very... <laughs> it's, it's a... There's a lot... I mean, I could go on a very long rant about Zach Bagans and the things that he does that piss me off, but... We'll save that for a live stream. <laughs> yeah, in, in connection to the Elisa Lamb case, um, he is... He and the show Ghost Adventures are actually... Or I think they may have already filmed it, but basically they went to the CISA hotel, which is not known for letting anybody in. No, this for is, this is the first time that they've let outside cameras inside, and it's partly due because it's shut down and uh, COVID. Right, it's being shut down. It and uh, like and then also know. they have they had the documentary that just came out, so of course they're gonna ride that wave while there's popularity going Especially on for them. Especially because they're planning on reopening. So, but anyways. Um, so on, on just trying to find more pop culture references, we did stumble across this and we found that he, he's, he's one of those guys that tries to act like he's done a lot of research and that he knows a lot about a lot of different things, but. And he also likes to, ra he, he always likes to only rationalize things as paranormal. He doesn't look at the real world and think that the real causes are making things happen. He's right. very much so very everything is paranormal. Which is sad because it used to, in the beginning of Ghost Adventures, if they caught something on camera, they would go and try to recreate it as best as they could. And if it, they could recreate it or they found something similar later on, it was literally debunked on the show as not being paranormal. Right. But that's not something that they really do anymore. But in the in the Elisa Lamb case and all the other cases that have to do with the Cecil, he is very much on the side of that there were dark entities that were feeding off of the negative energy of these various people who were killed or died at the hotel and that these energies had something to do with Elisa's death and he tries to use the um her manic state um, that they believe that she was in when this happened as kind of evidence of saying that it didn't look like an actual manic episode um that she was known to have but i don't think he really knows a lot about bipolar disorder because a lot of people think that a manic episode is just you just start acting crazy and that's not what it is at least not every time and he's well, basically trying to make it look like that she was borderline possessed by a spirit and he actually says that Richard Ramirez was basically possessed by a demon whenever he was staying at the Cecil and that's not even proven to be true either it's there's no evidence that shows that he actually stayed at the Cecil and like even like there isn't even a lot known on Elisa Lamb's bipolar disorder so nobody really knows what a manic episode would look like for her the only people who might would know are her family, and they don't really speak on it very often. Right. I don't think even they would know because she wasn't staying with them at the time that she started getting treated for it. So I, they might not even know. And to be honest, she might not have even fully known either because she did say that she was trying a lot of different medications to try to handle her symptoms. And if you, if you also have mental illnesses and you take medications for those you know that when you take a new medication you don't know how it's going to affect you it could take months to figure that out and she just might not have known how medication would affect her 
And I think it's very dangerous for people like Zach Bagans to automatically jump the gun on possession, which is something that is very serious and is very hard to determine to be a cause of anything. And it's kind of almost, uh, what's the word? I can't think of the word, but like back in like like medieval times, the church would use possession as a way to write off mental illness. Exactly. And that's very much a don't do that thing right. nowadays. Like Because it's wrong. It's wrong and it's not okay. And the fact that he is he's doing this not only for a serial killer, but also for someone like Elisa Lamb who died un like like mysteriously and was acting kind of strange before, like you can't just go straight to right and i think a lot of the time when people use these as an excuse to bring things up like demons and possession and negative entities you lose the fact that you're talking about an actual person Uh, she was an actual person and we were talking about respect for paranormal entities earlier I think there's also very little respect for dead just in a general sense of there's a difference between speculating about how somebody could have died and just straight up almost making up stories to fit what you want to have been what happened and that I feel is very disrespectful to Elisa and her family and also anybody else who's been a victim of mental illness as well. But that, like we said, that could be a whole other rant for a whole other day. So we will leave it at that for um, the pop culture references. And now we will get into what some of our theories are for some of these cases. So theories. There are so many theories on the Elisa Lamb case. Um, And most of them stem from the internet and internet sleuths, which is very dangerous. Extremely Um, dangerous. The most notorious uh, instance of this being very dangerous is whenever people on the internet were doing their own investigations from their computer or from their couch and started throwing accusations at a musician by, he goes by the name Morbid. Um, whenever uh, the Elise Slam case happened and people were trying to find out what happened, they were doing their own research. And they found one line from a song that he had written and, like, produced that mentioned water and China. And immediately went towards, oh, he had something to do with Elisa Lam. Which, he has no connection to Elisa Lam. Um, the only connection is that he visited the Cecil Hotel a year before Lam's death. That's it. And he had an alibi for the time period that yeah. she disappeared. Like, um, so, like, these accusations were so bad, and people on the internet were just going after him, that it led to him quitting music, and he even attempted to kill himself. And that's just, there have been many instances where this has happened, especially in the modern day. Like, it's very hard to do research on a true crime case from your computer whenever you have no hand in it whatsoever. You, like, you can't come to a solid conclusion that way. So, if you are, if you do, like, true crime and you are doing, like, your own research from home, 
you can't really say for certain what's truth. I think you need to keep in mind you're talking about real people. Mm -hmm. You were accusing real people. And there's people that try to say, oh, no, I wasn't accusing them. I was just saying it's a theory. Well, if you tie someone's name to a illegal act in this fashion of saying it's possible that they could have done this, then you're basically accusing that person. Yes. And this has led to many people, like, like even not involved in big cases, like, they will lose their jobs, their careers, because of theories or supposed accusations. It's very much similar to when someone claims that someone committed a crime and they go through the court proceedings and it turns out to not be true. Even though it's not true and it's proven not to be true, that that still sticks with them right. in their name. We've seen this in cases like Casey Anthony and Judy Arias where um, people outside of the actual investigation, like outside of the prime suspects, have been accused of being involved. And I, um, I think that it's the Casey Anthony case that the grandfather was accused of having something to do with mm -hmm. the um, child's murder and it got so much to the point that he he tried to kill himself because people were saying that he had a hand in it and and he was already in such a bad state of mind because he had just lost his granddaughter yeah so yeah just just keep in mind like these are real people and even though we have the internet at our fingertips and there's so much information with these true crime cases, we never have all of the information. Like, there's always going to be some information that's left out or, like, the police or, you know, authorities leave out. So we don't always have all the information. And we so see that even in this case. Yeah, even in this case. Because we see it. there's evidence that the video um, has been edited, things have been cut out. They definitely messed with the timestamp to where you can't read it clearly at all. Um... But yeah, you can literally see places where you can tell there was a jump cut. Mm -hmm. There was something cut or um, removed entirely. And we still don't have full details on Elisa Lamb's body and what condition it was in. Exactly. So. Exactly. I, I still don't know exactly where I stand on what I think may have happened to Elisa. I really... It is definitely strange. Mm -hmm. But I... I don't think it was an accident, and I'm trying to put this as delicately as I can, but I do agree with people who say that it doesn't make sense that she could have opened that up by herself and then closed it behind her, and well, I, like she, I said, it's, it's hard to kind of put this into words because I still don't fully know what I think. It is a very delicate subject to speculate and make theories on because, like, again, she is a real person and she did struggle with mental illness. And so it's, it's, it is a very delicate, like, walking on glass situation. So there are very many theories. And honestly, the theory that she could have crawled in there herself is still valid. It's definitely valid. Because it's definitely this possible. was on a rooftop in Los Angeles. We've seen from, like, video and pictures that the hatch... For the water tanks, even though it is metal, it could easily be blown closed by wind or something. I just don't know what I think. Dude. So, yes, she could have crawled in there. 
and not been able to get out because it's really hard to get out of a water tank yourself. Um, especially because we don't know what the water levels were at, but if they were lower, she probably wouldn't have been able to reach to get back out. And then it could have been blows close by wind. Or someone else could have done this to her. I have a belief that it is a very strong possibility that somebody else is connected to this, whether it was murder or not. It, it could totally just be somebody was there when the accident occurred. Or somebody saw her get off the elevator. Exactly. Or somebody saw her go up the stairwell. I think that... Um, if you haven't seen the documentary, at the time of Elisa's disappearance, the hotel was actually three different businesses at the time. There was Stay on Main, which is a hotel. There was the Hotel Cecil. And then there was also uh, permanent residences in the upper floors. It was very, very confusing. And we see this in, um, in a European couple who went. It was their first visit to America. And they stayed at the Stay on Main Whenever they got there, they were very confused to find the stay on Main was part of two other hotel instances. And the stay on Main was actually only three floors to the Hotel Cecil. And it was like sandwiched in between the Hotel Cecil on like the bottom section. And then on the top floors, it was like permanent, like more, like more permanent, like live-in residences for like the homeless or... Because the Cecil was still part of this program where um, they had, like, allowed residencies and they could not legally evict these people because of the program. Yes, the Hotel Cecil was a residential hotel, which means it had residential units, so they couldn't, like, kick these people out. But I think, um, so they have these three different businesses that all have their own entrances but they all go to the same elevators and um from what i know the stay on main website doesn't preface what it is actually it just says that it's a trendy hotel in the middle of los angeles right because they didn't they didn't want to have the negative connotation of the cecil hotel which put tourists in a very dangerous situation and especially so for elisa lamb she was a young woman with a mental illness who was traveling alone and the fact that she was at the hotel cecil it was just like the perfect storm for something terrible to happen right and i I think that the main the main thing that attributed to her experience i believe is she was so young and she was trying to gain life experience by traveling she wanted to travel she loved it and I know for, like, me, the first time that I went somewhere that was outside of my home space, I wasn't knowledgeable enough, like, just from life experiences to be aware of dangers. Like, people would come up and talk to me and ask for things or offer things, and I I would continue having a conversation with them because I didn't realize that this person could potentially be dangerous. Mm -hmm. And... I think that with Elisa and many other young women like her, this is probably something that happened. And um, it's it's known that Elisa was a very outgoing person, and she didn't mind talking to strangers. It's so it like Skid Row, where where the Hotel Cecil is, is full of homeless people, and mentally ill people who are not treated by medication. So many of them are in constant manic episodes, and so. 
Like, like you never know what they're going to do. Or what they are capable of. Well, I, I don't think it's necessarily just, you know, it's kind of hard to put that under the whole umbrella term of to be homeless, right. but um, I think that the main issue is the drug use that would cause people to act erratically. There are many accounts of people taking drugs and having bad trips and becoming violent or becoming violent with each other over drugs or and that can lead to another theory that like the person who may have seen elisa or could have been involved doesn't remember because they were like on drugs and so they don't remember if they had seen anything it's which happens a lot or they just could be afraid to come forward because it because they are they did have something to do with drugs and there were no drugs found in Elisa's system, and she was not known to be a drug user, so right. it could, you know, just be that she was with someone who was. But, um, yeah, I, I, this is, it's this is bizarre. one of those things where a lot of people attribute mental illness to be the cause of everything that happened in this, and it's and it's not, um... You have to take other factors into account. And just because somebody is manic does not make them necessarily violent. Um, Even if you look at the homeless population that stayed in Skid Row, of course there's going to be mental illness there. And of course there's going to be people that are going through manic states. But that does not make them violent. And it does not make it to where it's... It's always possible, but it doesn't make it likely that they were the ones who did something to her. Right. Um... I think it's more so somebody knows the area and knows the opportunity that is there and knows that most people probably are going to look at the homeless population or um, the released convicts that might not even be violent themselves, but they're going to be looked at because they are convicts, Mm -hmm. you know, and this whole area is just known for being a bad and dangerous area. I think that there's a lot of people that just take advantage of that. And so it would not surprise me if if there is someone who is connected to her disappearance and her death that they knew exactly what they were doing when they chose her in particular in the area in the hotel that they chose to do this in yes but again that's only if this was not accidental um or if someone was actually involved it's definitely just speculation there's no way to know for sure um and at the end of the day i think what we're left with is a young woman lost her life in a very sad and tragic way and her family is left with no answers um and also a lot of pressure from society to produce answers or to be constantly involved with it um constantly reminded by it especially with things like the documentary coming out in the Ghost Avenger show that's going to be coming out about it. And I feel like it's... It's time that we just leave them alone. I think so. Like, like not to say we just need to forget it and right. that it's over and done with because there's definitely still questions that need to be answered. But how, how much of it needs to be entertainment versus actual investigating? I think, like you said, like, at the end of the day, there are gonna, like, there are cases that we've seen in the past that we're never gonna have answers to. 
because there's there's not enough people don't or can't come forward and we're probably never going to truly know and I feel like Elisa Lamb is one of those cases as sad and tragic as it is right so as much as we can speculate and make theories like we have facts and I, I did have one more thought that I wanted to add about the Elisa Lamb case um I think that a lot of the time with some cases when you take um, public speculation into account, it can impede an investigation to, especially in the sense that you don't know what's accurate information and what information comes directly from the police versus what comes from somebody on the internet who just thinks that this is what happened. And that really kind of clouds the view of a lot of these cases. With yes. Lisa Lamb, when I first watched anything on it it was literally a paranormal video talking about oh she was possessed by something in the elevator and she acted so weird and strange and that automatically set the tone for me i i can only go into it as neutral as possible but i already had that connotation of oh this is something paranormal because of public speculation of presenting it that way yeah, we see more and more of this in the modern day, and a lot of those people could just be trying to help and help find answers, but like you said, sometimes it can hurt more so than it helps, exactly. because a lot of people aren't going to go directly to the LAPD website records to find the information on this case. They're going to go onto YouTube, or they're going to go onto Murderpedia. Or a blog. Or a blog. Or watch somebody's TikTok or somebody's Instagram post or something like that that doesn't come from a strictly fact news-based source. Yes. It's just a regular person. And, and I, mean, I, think, and I mean, we're just regular people right, too. Right. So you can take what we've said, but don't don't just take what we say. Go and do your own research about it as well. Mm -hmm. I like that's one of the main things that I like to preach is it's totally fine to listen to things like podcasts and read people's books and things like that, but also go and find actual real sources to look at. And Especially if you're going to regurgitate this information elsewhere, make sure that you do the best research you can. Like, we did the best research that we could, but, like, we're not completely unbiased. Right, and we're not perfect either. There's, I did a lot of research, there's a lot of these other cases that I could not find more information on, even though I did a lot of digging through Google, but again, I'm not perfect. There could be things that I missed that if you go and research and you find a reliable source, you could find information that I didn't know about. Yes, and, and the fact that we couldn't find as much information as we wanted to just goes to show that Google does not have all right. the information. The right. internet does not have all the information. So. Exactly. Just went on a little um, tangent. Yes. <laughs> I want to go back to one more case, and then I think we'll close this out. But I wanted to go back to the case of Dorothy with her boyfriend, Ben. Um, that I heard about this case... I don't remember where, but it, it was either an article or a video that didn't have anything to do with Elias and Lamb. It was just covering the hotel. Um, and 
haven't been able to find any article or anything else that states this, but I think I do remember that Dorothy was 19 and her boyfriend was like 36, 38, something like that. Very, very much older than yes, her. Yes, a very big age gap, which there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just something to note. But this was in the 1940s where you were not supposed to really be with somebody outside of marriage and they were very clearly not married mm-hmm. and staying at a hotel together in a very dangerous part of LA so that kind of already sets the tone for what kind of a relationship this was but the fact that he was older and she was so young probably added to the stress that she was under like she just gave birth in a very seedy hotel in a dangerous area of the city her boyfriend's asleep and her boyfriend supposedly was abusive as well it's rumored we didn't find anything that states this as a fact but it it is rumored that he was abusive so like the amount of stress that she was under and then of course and like she thought the baby was dead because it wasn't crying whenever she delivered at least we're left to assume that and even in the story it doesn't say if he cried or anything but I mean, that's the if, only if reason you think why your baby's you would think dead, the baby he was, probably, was dead he probably wasn't making any noise or moving around or anything um it's just very it's so it's very sad it's very sad and it's one of those there's not enough you can't really fault anybody yeah well oh, okay not true but there, for me it's just that there's not enough to go off of to really make a very solid theory because it's also possible that she could have just been on drugs mm-hmm. because this was an area that was known for drug use um even though this was in the 40s people did still use drugs i yes. know a lot of people don't realize that <laughs> but yes people used drugs in the 40s and 50s the and roaring 20s wasn't just about booze it wasn't just booze they went crazy but this um Gosh, I just, I wish that there was more information about her herself, because if they had three psychiatrists evaluate her, there's got to be some kind of documentation of that somewhere, Mm -hmm. and I could not find it. I searched and searched and searched. Can we also touch on how big of a gap there is between... so um, many of the stories have years in between them. So the hotel was um, established in 1924. The first case happened in 1927. Then the next case is in 1931, then in 32, then in 34, then in 37, 38, 39, 40. Um, not a whole lot of gaps there, but then there's a four-year gap between 1940 and 1944, which is... Um, the two Dorothys. Dorothy Serger. Oh, who, I um, ingested poison, and then Dorothy Purcell. That is weird. Who, that is weird. Yeah. But there's a four-year gap between them. And then there's another three years before Robert Smith's case. And then it jumps all the way to 1954. Um, like, just three years short of, like, a full, like, ten-year difference. And then it jumps to 1962, which is almost another ten years. And then from 1960... There's two cases in 1962, both of which are very strange. Um... And then it jumps to 1964. And then after 1964, we don't see anything else until 1975. So that's an 11-year gap. Yeah. And then, of course, after 1975, um, they introduced the... Skid Row. Skid Row unofficial, like... Internment Basically zone. homeless camp type of thing. Yeah. Um, where they would... They were purposefully pushing for homeless people and prisoners and just kind of the people that they didn't want the public 
world to see that they had in their city to be pushed towards this one Which particular is awful, area. And I could go on a whole tangent on that. This and I think this is what really caused this this is what caused the rise in violence in the, the rise in violence and the lack of records. The lack of records is crazy to because me. Because after Skid Row in nineteen seventy six, we don't see anything until nineteen ninety two. Yeah, that's a very That's the very long biggest gap. gap that I am like blown away by. And then from 1992, it's a nine-year gap till you get to Elisa Lamb's case. In 2013. And then, which I feel like could partly be because the manager from the documentary, that's when she started working there and the hotel was bought by a different owner. I feel like they very much so tried to hide what was going on. Yeah, because she said that she she experienced 80 different murders, but how, how are none of them documented? None, none of them but Elisa Lamb are documented. Elisa Lamb, and then one more after Elisa in 2015, a 28-year-old man. Um, there's also several people that are not identified. Um, they they don't know who they are, where they came from. They just know that they came to the Cecil and then died. Um, and so also I, a lot of people coming under different names. Yeah, and that's it's very frustrating that the hotel management and owners tried so hard to hide what the hotel Cecil was and that put people in danger. Like it's it's clear that they were very much trying to hide things from not only the lack of records but also when they did produce Stay on Main as a new hotel. They did not preface they, what it was or where right, it was. Even though it's in the same building, they try to act like it was something completely separate and different because um I mean they were losing money. They needed money so they needed to have something that didn't scare people off so then they created this and so people would book it show up and it's in one of the worst towns of l one of the worst places of la and it's a hotel that is probably one of the worst hotels in the area and sadly at least like like we said at least in was caught in that and that i feel like the hotel should be partly held accountable mm -hmm. for what happened What's really crazy about how this was all set up to work is there's these three different businesses, one being the Stay at Main, one being the Cecil, and then one being the Residential Hotel. And they have different entrances for all three of these, but they all go to the same exact elevators, and there's nothing preventing anybody from any of those places using the elevators to go to the others. Like, somebody from Stay on Main could check in, go to the elevator, and go up and wander around the residential part where they have absolutely no business being. But because they don't know it's there, they don't know. Like, Or even if they do know, might be doing it on purpose. Well, yeah. Because of morbid curiosity, just to be like, oh, what's it right. like to live in a place like this? Because, you know, they go there because they want to see what it's like living in an area like that and they don't realize how dangerous it is. Right, and I think, because I'm not sure if we mentioned it just yet, but the hotel did not have security from mm -hmm. what we can tell. And I think that was very dangerous and also because it's three different businesses and there's so much foot traffic going, there's so many people coming in and out, there's no way to know who is part of what business coming through your doors. Somebody who works at the Stay on Main could see somebody come in and, you know, go around that area of the hotel and then leave. And it could be somebody just off the street. It could be somebody from 
going to see the CISO hotel or somebody from the residential area. And that is very dangerous, in my opinion, especially when you are in an area that is dangerous. It's not a good idea to just let anybody just wander around, you know? They should have had, they should have had security regardless, and they should have had um, something that prevented the people that were supposed to be at one area from going to another. And that could have been very possible because I know that colleges, whenever they have dorms, um, where I went to college, they recently, whenever I went there, they had just introduced, um, like, shared uh, dorms between, like, men and women. But, like, the floors were, like, it's, like, men on the bottom floor, women on the second floor, and then, like, so, and, like, so on. And you had to use a key card to use stairwells or use an elevator, and you could only get off on a floor that you were able, or that, like, you were supposed to use. So they definitely could have done that at the Cecil. I think they it, just chose not yeah. to. I think it came down to they were trying to do these big, crazy renovations, but they didn't have the budget to do everything so they they were probably cutting corners and probably in more areas than just what we're talking about um i personally don't have a very good view of the management of the cecil just because there's all this stuff that happens and then they don't handle it well from what i can see Mm -hmm. but i i feel like it was them cutting corners and because of that um i mean that's why we don't have enough footage of elisa that's how she was able to get access to the roof because the door was supposed to be locked and it was it was or they said it was and that the alarm didn't go off but either way um she if so one of the theories is that she used the outside fire escape to get up there but even that i don't think should have been possible it's it's just a lot of a lot of not taking the time and care to make sure that your guests are going to be safe but then also in the same sentence, uh, like the city of Los Angeles is also partly at fault because they created this zone right. of the city. They created this environment. And the Hotel Cecil was just kind of like, not to play devil's advocate, but like they were working with what they, they had. had. Yeah. Yeah, it's understandable. Um, It's just, there's a lot of factors that play into her death and other people's deaths and all the the violence that happens in this area um and i just feel like that a lot of it could have definitely been prevented so we're gonna go ahead and close it out obviously we didn't have a whole lot of content but we did have a lot to say no we had many things um, to say but that's gonna be it from us for today let us know what you guys think um about Elisa, about any of the other cases, about the hotel itself. Um, tell us what you think about the documentary. Um, we have a Discord. We do. We have a Twitter. We have a lot of other things we that I'm blanking everything. out on. Yeah, every everything's going to be linked um, in the description. But we we definitely want to know you guys' thoughts. Um, also, let us know other things that you might want us to talk about. Other cases or other um instances of weird things happening um so thursday we will have a paranormal episode and then um 
eventually we will get back with you guys on a live streaming date or schedule or whatever we decide to do. Thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you guys on Thursday. Bye guys. Bye. Thank you.